Drive-by Cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Buongiorno. It's Drive-by Cinema episode 14, 14 of series 2. That was one of your hosts, Paul. Interrupting again. And I am your other host, Rick. Welcome, everybody. Welcome aboard this flight to Horrorville. Italy. We're going to Italy. Cedia and uh-huh. Nassia side of Italy today. Uh, when we're going to later on in this podcast look at the movie that is a classic horror movie. That's not a description. But first, before we do that, uh, I did promise some corrections. Ooh, intrigue. And there are lots of corrections that I've been guilty of have oh, you been storing them up like 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 uh like an advent calendar of corrections squirreling them away let's right. see what's through the red window then so first of all i'm fairly certain on several occasions i described infinite the mark Wahlberg matrix style film as a part of shit as that may or may not be accurate but i did say it was a netflix production and it is in fact it was on amazon prime whoa so I apologise to listeners who are confused that their Netflix description subscription did not have infinite on it. <laughs> Genuine error. Just there we are. That's a proper boo boo. It is. It's straightforward. Uh, you know what can I tell you? We just asked him to put the yellow road signs by the roadworks, and he didn't do. Now the next error, uh, which really was prompted by our listeners on the Discord, so oh, so not an unforced error, a forced error. Uh, when referring to Sinclair Spectrum microdrives, yes, I had claimed that there was no disk drive. There is well, I claimed that with no spools in it, and it was Ooh. just a loop of tape. But that's not true. It's also not how eight-track cartridges worked. Ooh. The way they worked is they had one single spool. And I think the loop would then go through the middle of the spool. Stop press. I- reliable. Uh, my reliable source, Richard, has been caught bullshitting. Oh, this like this like puts the whole of our podcast history into doubt now, Richard. No, no. Those no, moments no. where I've taken you as an authoritative source on things technological all now have to be, I think, revisited with 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 with, with casting a. A cynical eye over everything you've said. Anyway, Richard, sorry. Continue. I had simply made a slight assumption because that, the way I described having a loop with no spool and just all of the tape going into it, higgledy piggledy, that is how. Would it not get knotted? The, I was just terrifying. I just kind of think it makes you cringe, doesn't it? It's like. It's you'd like think that it might get knotted, but it doesn't. It, it is how. The kind of public announcement tapes you'd hear at stations. That's how they would have worked. And I guess it's how tape loop worked for guitar effects. Which I don't know what they're called. Our good friend John could tell. Delay loop. Delay loop, yeah. Yeah, prob- I think probably. Because those things, if they're relatively short in duration, you, you don't need the spool. And they are very reliable because there's no moving parts except the tape. So it's just a box, really, and you're just drawing the tape loop through it. Have you seen those those things on YouTube? It's like it's like a piece of string that like does something when it goes when it's pushed in a cycle up into the gravity. It kind of defies gravity, kind of thing. Oh, you're talking about the the beaded chain. Yeah, are you, you're talking about. You're saying it's a bit like a beaded chain, then. A, a bit, yeah. The, the the tape gets ejected into the box and it loops back on itself and concertinas itself. 
in those systems. In those, systems, however, but you're not... saying the micro drive in the ZX Spectrum did have a spool mechanism. One spool, one spool, just one, just spool. one spool. But they were very, really small. So looking it up, they were surprisingly small. Those micro drives. And did it have like a bobbin thing to stop the tape coming off the top of the spool? Or was it like in the casing? So when you close the casing, yes. the spool yeah. formed itself. Was it that kind of spool? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Ah. And this is listener Pete pointed out that they did have a common failure mode, which is that the tape could stretch. And obviously that may oh. make it not read correctly. Uh, Microdrives, yeah. So both Pete and Apoplectic commented about having spectrums. Of one kind or another. Oh, actually, Pete said he had a BBC, so he was one of the posh kids you would have been going around to play Elite on. Thank you, Pete, for finally BBC. correcting this young, gelding Richard. <laughs> Bring him back into pasture. So, I uh, take it you have no corrections at all, Paul, is that? Well, I, I'd like to say some more about that. I'm pretty sure there was a dedicated ZX Spectrum disk drive also, Richard. There was, actually, you're right. Mm. Particularly so you're on wrong the... about that, weren't you? <laughs> go on I think on. we're talking here about the era of Spectrums when they were bought by Alan Sugar and Amstrad potentially yeah and some of the models came with a built in disk drive which was weirdly a 3 inch rather than 3 and a quarter inch uh, disk drive there's Alan for you <laughs> yes quite so but yes, he did. Uh, you're right. Bat- sorry. We can battle Some that, you bastards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Alan. For yes. really conforming to gauge standards there. Some spectrums, you're right, had a disk drive. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry, no corrections, but just an observation. Uh, Richard, uh, you were making some, can I say, pithy comments about about my 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 theme music to this uh, to this series, saying it was it was. Do a change and that kind of thing. Oh, and I will no problem with you're that. You're here to surprise us. No, with... I, well, oh. if you like. I mean, but before I before I do renew, I, I would just like to say that originally I thought we conceived most of this podcast as being, you know, a Sam is that MVP minimal viable product kind of production. Was that not right? Yeah, I like that philosophy. Yeah, and you said, you know, oh, Paul, don't worry about the music. I'm not going to mock you in public about it. Just, you know, come up with what you can do. <laughs> Would that yeah, be roughly, yeah. roughly reading between the lines, would that be the general <laughs> direction of our conversation at that time? Just like well, to remind been, you of that, Richard, that's all. Just like to remind you gently of that. Yeah, there are many ways to hurt a man. Do you know that? There are many ways to hurt a man. But no, I've no. been an enthusiastic supporter of our music. Yeah, a terrible music, yeah. I fully acknowledge the music is terrible and embarrassing. But the problem is, Richard, I, I'm not convinced that if I do a new one, it will be any less terrible or any less embarrassing. <laughs> so, I mean, in front of all this, it's difficult. Now, do, do you give me the right to outsource it to somebody who can actually make music? It's the difficult second album. I don't know that... It's a strange thing for a musician to do at this stage is to get <laughs> oh, a ghost again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there were many ways to hurt a Richard. Hurt a, hurt a, no, there were many ways to hurt a man, Richard. I'll just leave it at that. Paul, do you start with the lyrics or do you Please start with the music? Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm grounded, I'm wounded. Just please, no more. No more. Stop it. When the fun stops, just stop. Well, let's play some of your music then and then start talking about this film. Okay, key music. Why is my chair so noisy today? 
I opened the podcast by saying Bongiorno because this is an Italian horror movie, Paul. At least that's wow. what it purports to be. It is an Italian horror movie, and we are not novices to the genre, are we, Richard? Let's 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 think back now. We've seen Italian horror movies before, haven't we? Paul, some famous this ones. Podcast is in many ways a training <laughs> a to watch this movie. A homage to the Italian horror movie. Uh, genre, dare we say? It's not just the Italian, spaghetti, not just the Italian spaghetti horror. horror. No. All horror movies that we've watched contributed to our our education that enables you to watch this film enlightenedly. Yeah, with an enlightened eye. Wow, this is a genre savvy film. Oh, so much, so savvy. Can we just talk a little bit about Suspiria from nineteen seventy seven? I believe. An original Jalo horror movie. Have I got the term right here? Jalo, yeah. It means yellow, I think. It does, yeah. Tell me. Uh, and uh, the incredible lighting that we saw in that, which I believe you you were saying was like, you know, putting acetate in front of super trooper lights kind of thing. Is that right? Yes. There's a lot of very bold lighting choices. We had some of that movies. bold lighting choice here in this movie, didn't we? We did, didn't it's we? Suffused with yeah. reds and that kind of thing. Do you think that was a nod to classic Italian horror or not? How could it not be? It must How have been. Be? So you see, guys, there are some benefits of us watching really bad old movies. No, well, you know, imagine watching this film if we hadn't watched all of the different horror movies we've watched during uh, during this podcast. It wouldn't really make a, a lot of sense, would it? No. There's a moment here where would not have the same impact. There's a moment here where they're they're sat at a table, lots of shall we say slightly backward people sat at a table, uh, mocking and imitating somebody's anguish, which scarily sounds a bit like a ripoff of Midsummer, doesn't it? Oh well, Paul. I think we got two minutes later for this movie to say, "Oh, this movie is just a ripoff of other horror movies." Hold on, there has to be big nods heading towards various movies here, don't there? This movie is. Free, release free on Netflix for subscribers. 2021. Very new. New out of the box. You know, I was wondering as it started whether or not I was going to have to read this movie or listen to it. When you've been, you know, all the stuff that we've been watching lately. Have you been watching The Squid Game? Have you started The Squid Game? The South Korean thing that everyone's watching. I was going to mention something about The Squid Game here, but I can't remember what what it is. Have you been watching it though? No, by reading all about it a lot. We need to get on and do that, Paul. But when you're watching these programs like Extracurricular and other all that other stuff, mm. are you watching it dubbed, or are you? Oh, I see what you're subtitles? saying. Uh, usually, I'm watching subtitles. Really? Really? Yeah. But talk to me about why you wouldn't choose dubbed, or you would prefer subtitles. What's the reasoning behind that? I don't know, but. It depends, really, what, what kind of feel you go for. I mean, this isn't a classic movie. I think if, if it's a classic 1970s horror, I definitely want it dubbed to get the whole 1970s vibe about it. But it's a modern movie. Dubbing isn't something, you know, overdubbing of, 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 of voices isn't something we do, is it? We just, watch, we just read the subtitles these days, don't we? Well, I watched Squid Game dubbed. Yeah. And... The dubbing is not quite right. Some of the voices don't totally fit the persona, I think. And the acting on the dubbing isn't as good, maybe. I don't know. I haven't heard the original, so I don't don't know how it compares. But it feels like it might be a bit less 
convincing than than it might otherwise be. This is not to criticise the actors, and I'm sure it's quite difficult to do. And of course, dubbing is an art, like translating anything is an art, of course. But with dubbing, they're actually trying to fit the not only the meaning, but also the metre and the length of the utterances to fit the mouth movements, aren't they? Yes. With subtitles, they've got a bit more latitude. Oh, you're peeling your notepad apart there. I am sorry. With, with subtitles, you've got a bit more latitude, but still, there's a big art in you know, building the translation and putting it on screen in a way that's readable and, and scans properly. You know, Squid Game has attracted criticism for the way that they've translated it in some cases. People claiming that you're missing some of the nuance of the original in the translation. Well, this is what I wanted to talk about Squid Game. I know I, knew I made notes some, something about it, uh, but you've hit the head on the nail, so to speak, or whatever. Uh, backwards or forwards, somehow you've come around. <laughs> hit the hammer with the nail. I know, but backwards or forwards, somehow you've come around to what I wanted to say. So continue what you're saying, and then I will have something to say about Squid Game. So, yeah. You know, obviously you don't know what you've missed. If you missed it, you know. So, and Squid Game is enjoyable nonetheless. And I'm sure there might be all kinds of cultural nuance that maybe don't translate well. And some of that may be down to poor translation. And some of that may just be, you know, about what you know about the culture. But all of that said, you know, I I think I, I feel as though I want to prefer subtitles. But these days... Does it matter? Especially when I'm... Especially when I'm doing it for this podcast, uh, when I'm trying to take notes. I'm with you. But even when I'm not, I want to second screen it. You know, I want my laptop with me and I want to be looking things up or reading things or playing a game or doing something else. So subtitles are not that convenient because you have to pay a whole lot more attention to subtitles. With you. Uh, Can I just segue? I I take everything on board uh, and I think therefore you should buy a flip phone either by Samsung or Microsoft. I know that might solve some of your problems if you're watching it on your mobile. <laughs> oh, you don't watch it on your mobile, do you? I don't watch it on my mobile, Paul. I watch okay. it on my like 50-inch television, whatever it is. Okay, well, if you put the mobile phone close to your face, it's just the same, Richard. True. 4,000 yeah. pixels Absolutely. on mine, baby. I could watch on VR, like I'm in a cinema. You should do it on VR, definitely. But can I just segue in through software development? I mean, I guess our listeners are aware that there's agile and traditional High ceremony waterfall. forms, waterfall, which is mid ceremony, but there's even higher ceremony forms, forms of software, software methodologies. Okay, and Netflix is very much, I think, in the agile f- framework of making movies, is it not? So it's done quickly. It's done like Brazilian soap operas. It's in and out in no time, and you know they don't get an academic to who's done the latest Emil Zola translation in class, you know they don't get a classic classical classically trained academic to do the translations do they you know they don't get somebody who studied that language for hundreds of hundreds of thousands of hours to come in and do it uh, and so the nuance of the language is often lost I think in the subtitles or in the dubbing that doesn't really matter you know so what I want to say about Squid Game is I've been reading about the criticisms of the naffness of the western actors in there you know the the VIPs Oh, yeah. Yeah. And one, I think it's supposed to be like, you know, do you know Bob in David Lynch's Twin Peaks? Not personally, no. But I've passed him on the street one time. There's a whole bit where him and the dwarf who speaks backwards, but it's actually taped forwards, so it's played forwards, backwards, forwards. A real David Lynch hedge folk. Do you remember that? (laughs) Yeah, it's like the adventure game. 
weird anyway so everything's played forwards backwards forwards double dubbed and overdubbed but there's, there's bits of the dialogue that are meant to be really stilted and sort of delivered in uh, an emotional way and I think they were going for some of that vibe it's a defence the other defence comes from the actors themselves which is you know they were saying you know we just we don't get to know the story we just get our own lines and we don't know the, we don't know the circumstance of how they're delivered yeah. and yeah. so on the day we find out what other people's lines are and we're told to ad lib and we're told to put the jokes in or whatever and we just do it live kind of thing. Uh, and that seems like a fair enough defence because they've been getting a lot of stick, you know, about what kind of actors they are. Ah, you're just white guys in South Korea. And I think 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that would definitely would have been true. In the whole of East Asia, you know. I have been on billboards around so many cities promoting DVDs. It's unbelievable, you know. Back in what? 2001, yeah. You're a poster child for DVDs. I was a David Beckham of DVDs, yeah. I mean, it's a Chinese invention, essentially, the DVD. Uh, they so it was stole Philips. I, oh, maybe that's I, a CD, isn't it? I think it was pretty much a Chinese, a Chinese route to market anyway, uh, unlike LDs and CD ROMs and whatever came before. Uh, so, so yeah, the Chinese are very big on promoting it, and uh, yeah, I was David Beckham of DVD promotions. But uh, it happens all over the place. I, I think, particularly in the eighties and nineties, when I was working in Hong Kong, one of the guys I went down the ex- expat pub, he was just he was famous for being like the white guy in in uh, <laughs> in Shaw Brother Kung Fu movies. You know, the bad, usually the villain. You know, you turn up at the docks and you squeal in Toyota, uh, Toyota sort of. A, hatchbacks and there's always some drug linchpin who's a white guy there (laughs) and he did that but he was also working uh, as a reporter for I think the South China Morning Post at the same time raking it in tax free or whatever uh, as all the overseas journalists did and he used to phone I mean it was like he used to phone his stories in to the Cantonese guy at the office who had perfect English and would write it all down and then they'd type it up. You know, it's incredible how they used to work out there. Just uh, very fast and furious. Again, very agile. But he got reputation uh, because uh, on the back of his films, he, he started advertising Swiss, Swiss, uh, expensive Swiss watches. I don't know which, which make it was. So, and he was like the master watchmaker. So he got a reputation <laughs> in the office as being able to fix watches. As all the local Cantonese like reporters and all their friends would come and say, hey, look, my watch is broken. Can you, can you do something about it? He's like, yeah. And he'd put it in his drawer and say, you know, let me look at it. And of course, he'd have like 400, 500 watches in there, right? And he had such a reputation because of the adverts that like everybody would bring in their watches. And he never mended any of them. But Charlie's face being what it is, you know, they would never actually confront him about it. And so he just had this whole drawer full of watches. So, I mean, it was true back then. I mean, he wasn't an actor. And he certainly wasn't a watchmaker. But, you know, as bad then, you could definitely get a role just by being pretty much the only resident foreigner in town. Uh, and I think it was true in Korea until about 10, 10 years ago. It lasted longer in Korea because there, there were fewer foreigners until recently there. Uh, but I don't think it's true today. You know, they're all they're all decent actors. So, so yeah, that's my little two-piece on, on the quality of acting and the dubbing and... The way that they're actually they're, they're speaking lines written by Koreans, you see, in English, and it's only on the day they get them. So it's only on the day that they can proof and edit, and they are the only proof and editors uh, of the the lines, you see. So 
they only have like 10 minutes to correct it or improve it or make it more natural. And that's why I think another reason why it comes across so stilted. So I defend them. You know, I think it's pretty good acting, the bits I've seen. Although I will watch it in full. Yeah, maybe you should watch it and make that comment, Paul. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, um, back to our Italian horror movie. What actually happens? We should maybe start make a start on describing what happens. What are we talking about? I'll tell you, but the thing about this movie, this movie was quite amazing to me. It took me on an emotional journey. Even sort of outside, at a meta level of the whole film. I, I thought I was watching what is literally a classic horror movie, but the clue is in the name, right? This name, a classic horror movie. Refers to the clearly, actions. It, the event it's clearly the- a genre-savvy title, right? It, it is, yeah. It's self-aware already. But it starts off in a very traditional kind of a way, doesn't it, as a horror movie goes. We start looking at Elisa, who's a young woman. Uh, we learn very quickly that she is travelling home to her parents, I think. And so she's cab-shared or something. She, what's she done? She's she's got a ride-sharing app. A ride-sharing. And she's about to meet up with a bunch of people who've got a, a lift, which uh, is in an RV, as we, well, as Americans would call them. It's the kind of RV that you might see in a Stephen King movie from the early 80s. This is it. It's kind of a classic horror movie trope kind of thing, isn't it? We learn from a phone call she's making to her parents that she's going back there to have an abortion. Wow. And I, I thought immediately, you know, what is this like a Italian Catholic anti-abortion kind of morality story? Yeah. Is, she come to, is she going to come to a sticky end because of her going off to get an abortion. Actually, seems she, she seems to be slightly reluctant. Um, her mother's very keen that she has it. And she meets up with this bunch of people riding on this RV in this rideshare thing. Yeah. So there's Fabrizio, I think is the owner of the RV, who's making a vlog all about his adventures. There's English Mark English and Mark. his girlfriend, Sophia, who I think is from Ukraine. She's ah. She says she's from Odessa, doesn't she? And there's Ricardo, who's much older than those guys, and a doctor, apparently. Tells him he's a doctor. And they're all sharing this ride somewhere or other in Italy on this RV. You're right, yeah. Now, the vlogger, he's like, okay, I'm making a movie. I don't know who he's making it for. He's got a title for it. And he he gets them to introduce themselves. And then we have this first kind of uh, wink to the fourth wall. I think the fourth wall stays intact here, but it's obviously a film that's referencing the making of a movie. He's like, please don't talk over each other. It makes it impossible to edit in post. Yeah. So we've got some self-referentiality <laughs> and some self-awareness going on in the movie at this point. It's a movie. They're making a movie. This is a movie about making a movie kind of thing. So I was thinking, what's this, how's this going to be horror? And I had no idea. There we go. At this point. So they're on the road and they're chatting the way people do and that, you know, like all horror movies start off with ordinary things happening in ordinary ways. They're having a few beers in the back of the RV. Uh, at some point, night has fallen. They're going the quite British guy decides to drink and drive. And they're all like, no, don't do that. He's like, well, if I don't do that, we're never going to get to where we're going. So he drink drives. As he's driving along, chatting to Fabrizio, suddenly in the middle of the road, there is the carcass of an animal, like a dead goat. It's kind of Fabrizio's fault, though, isn't it? It is. Fabrizio reaches over, yanks the wheel so hard that the whole RV drives clean off the road and smack into a tree. But the animal was dead. It was a carcass, wasn't it? So 
You'd just drive over it, wouldn't you? You would just drive over it. I mean, you can't really take your car off the road and swerve to avoid a, a dead animal on the road, can you? Especially if it's not your car. Don't worry about it. I mean, in, the Can- in Canada or North America, you know, or Northern USA, if it's a big moose, obviously you want to avoid that. But but it's not a big moose. It's a little goat, isn't it? The thing about elk and moose and stuff is if, if you hit them, you take the legs out and the body comes crashing down on the roof of your car, doesn't it? Whoa. Volvos, I believe Volvo is one of the reasons they're so elk safe. safe. Elk proof, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so, what do you think about the portrayal of the British guy? Sorry to interrupt here, but we've got this like young British dude, I would say. And he's represented in a certain sort of way that I see as British, but is also quite weird. You know, going back to the squid game and how dialogue is written by Koreans in English language. Do you think this is how Europeans and Southern Europeans generally view us and how we behave? Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. This, this is how we view. Well, he, he's a he's a toned down version, isn't he? I mean, he's quite really <laughs> kind of. I think so. Yeah. Wow. Okay. For some reason, that's not entirely clear. When they run off the road and hit this tree, which, by the way, trees are very bad things to hit in cars, aren't they? They yeah. just don't yield, do they? They don't. They? Very tough. Unless they're sappy. So get, it wasn't a sappy tree. It no, it was a big, tree. proper tree. But they all wind up knocked out or unconscious, don't they? Yeah. Uh, most of them were asleep, I suppose, when it happened. Had they all been drinking the beer? Yeah, I think we we learn later that they uh, must all have been drinking the beer, but we don't know that at the moment. So they um, wake up sometime later, alive. Alive. Aliza comes around first, I think. She seems to be the first who crawls out of a sleeping bag. Mark, meanwhile, has Badly broken his leg. He's got some kind of compound fracture. And Sophia starts to try to call the emergency number, which is apparently 118 in Italy. I didn't know that. Wow. I'll file that for future reference. Yeah, you should put that in your phone, Paul. (laughs) So Mark's broken his leg. And obviously that's a concern. But there is a doctor there, you know, so... They start splinting it up, I think. But no decapitations, because I thought, because they're in the middle of a beautiful forest. I thought it's going to be an old Buddhist riddle, you know, do two severed heads in a forest make a squelching sound? <laughs> and it wasn't that. A, a broken leg is serious enough, isn't it? Because you can get yeah. serious blood loss and complications from a broken limb. But they all have had absences of consciousness, which you'd think would be even greater cause for concern. I mean, <laughs> Unlike in most movies, as depicted, you know, if you fall unconscious, you've probably got some kind of brain damage, don't you? It's not to be treated lightly, is it? Falling yeah. unconscious. Just why, you know, boxers and football players and stuff are all ending up with these, like, uh, long-term brain injuries. Strange. I was listening to, listening to Gary Lineker talk about this today. Oh, really? What's he saying? He says he's probably going to get some sort of degenerative brain disease. What, from all his heading? From all his heading, yeah. Yeah, no, it is a serious concern. You can see that, certainly for kids, they should probably stop them heading the ball. Have they stopped it? Yeah, I don't think they have, have they? They ought to, though. You know, I mean, basically, I think a neurologist would say that you know, there's no no level of like head impact is safe kind of thing. You shouldn't be doing it at all. Should minimise the number of times you make your brain bounce around inside your skull for whatever reason. But they don't die, and they're still talking, so it can't, the brain damage can't be that bad. However, 
they're in the middle of a forest and something weird happens, doesn't it? This is the next horror trope, isn't it? Because they they look around, I think after dawn breaks, they look around outside and they realise that they're nowhere near the road. The road is no longer oh, visible. Weird, how is that possible? It seems that they're in a clearing. Wow, they've entered a magical void. In a forest. And in that clearing is a building. I was going to say a house, but it's strangely proportioned. Really weird architecture. Yeah. Almost pyramidal, isn't it? But, um, cross between like a, 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 a cub's hut and a church. Yes. Very reminiscent sense. of the strange buildings in Midsummer, as you pointed very, out. Very, very reminiscent, yeah. And the house has got outside of it a strange kind of telegraph pole with a bunch of lights attached to it and a, a klaxon or a PA system. So they find themselves in this weird situation and they're going to have to start exploring. There's some argument about what they should do and how they should do it, but ultimately... They splint Mark's leg up and leave him in the RV, and then they go Decamp poke the, around the house. The cabin, yeah. Or the house, yeah. Okay, so no spookiness really so far, just a little bit eerie. Pretty much, it, it, it kind of, I mean, the tone stays pretty level for the next five or ten minutes, doesn't it? Does it, is it, is it nightfall where weird stuff starts happening again? Or? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They do find some strange things in the house. Some artifacts, they? yeah. A diary, I think. They find some and pictures of people in animal headdresses, which is very Wickerman and very, well, also Midsummer as well. Maybe also hereditary. And at some point, Sophia is talking to Aliza. She's showing off her 3D printed jewellery, which... <laughs> Wasn't that impressive? Yeah. No. She was polite about it. Oh, she she really polite. She's like, oh, that's nice. She said it it was pretty, yeah. It wasn't. No, it wasn't at all. And, uh, well, you know, someone has to put those things you get in Christmas crackers, don't they? Someone has to come up with that crap. Maybe maybe that's the kind of business she was aiming for. And she said, (laughs) she she said of that, that, you know, when she printed her first item of jewellery, you know, she knew she could make it. Well, I mean, what if you press print on the 3D printer? It's like a great milestone in your career. Yeah, I think her startup's going to remain a startup for quite a long time. <laughs> but anyway, the two of them are in love. So, And he seems to be coming around, doesn't he? He seems to be okay, the, the British boy. He's in agony, though, isn't he? It's not good. He's, uh, He's kind of passing in and out of consciousness, like... sleeping on the sofa. Meanwhile, I think Fabrizio has taken them into the house and he's found these pictures of these three knights with strange facial features. Well, now, here, did you not get the three Buddhist monkeys? Hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil kind of thing. Yes, that's exactly, yeah. Yeah, they all seem to be disabled in different ways, don't they? Yeah, one of them can't, yeah, one of them can't speak, one of them can't hear, one of them can't see. See. Yeah. And do we know their names at this point? Because their names are Osso, Mastrono, and something like Caragrosco or something. Uh, yeah. I, I no, don't think they're are... historically accurate. Oh, I, don't, I think they are. I oh, think this is a okay. real legend. Really? I think. I'm sure I read it was. To do with, and, and seems to be tied up with a legend or a myth, mythology, 
about the founding of sort of criminal gangs, about the mafiosa and a couple of other ones that I'd never heard of, but seem to be endemic in you know, southern Italy. I see. Well, Fabrizio is from southern Italy, isn't he? So he says, yeah. Vlogging, he tells yeah. a joke. There's a joke, isn't there, during... Mm. During one of the bits of the film, where there was your Italian good enough to tell the difference between the words mafioso and mafiosi? No. In what the is joke? the difference? Well, one's singular, oh. one's plural. Ah, uh, I wasn't listening in Italian, was I? Was I was dubbing? Ah, I see. I was listening dubbed, but the joke was uh, something like, "I was I was travelling north, and they said, are you from the guy, south?'" A guy Italy? says, "Yeah, are you in the mafia?" And he asked me again the next day. He's like, what? Because I'm from the South? Yeah. Yeah, are you in the Mafia? He's like, yeah, yeah, all you you Southerners are in the Mafia. Yeah. Are you in the the Mafia? And so I had him killed. (laughs) (laughs) So who tells us about the the three knights or the three... I believe Fabrizio and was it Ricardo the doctor? I think they went for a walk in the woods to try and, they and find see a way the back statues, to the road. Don't they? Yeah, there's well, there's three kind of mannequins or what's what's the word? You know, where you make a person's shape thing. Yeah, mannequin. You know, you know, you know what I mean. The kind of thing you burn on like a, a guy forks, yeah, yeah. And there's also the heads of five pigs as well stuck on stakes in front of them. But at that point, we get the whole story about, you know, the, the, the peasants were starving. Who tells this story yeah. about the backstory of these three knights? Fabrizio tells this story. Yeah, okay, Peter. so the peasants' story. In summary, the, the peasants in this region are starving, you know, and they're all emaciated. And the knights turn up and they beg the knights, please, please, please find some way of saving us. And, they, and the knights say, give us one of you to sacrifice. And through that sacrifice, we will save you. And essentially, all they do is they kill one of the starving peasants and feed it elaborately. To, elaborately, they, they feed cut it off its to everybody else, <laughs> and they cut off its they cut out its eyes, and they cut off its uh-huh. ears, and they stick them on a wicker figure or something, and they make the sacrifice. And so, there's but some then, sort of devil's moral bargain here: is you know, you lose your perceptions when you you know when you do this when you do this kind of deal, and uh, as a result, you know, through their loss of senses, they're all now kind of indebted uh, to their three overlords and they must obey them kind of thing. Yeah. So there's a big kind of allegory going on here. So I think it's very powerful, but we don't have time to dig into. But so that's the story, yeah. And they're, seeing, they're being told this by Fabrizio uh, in front of these seven pig heads. There we go. And, uh, it's not a very convincing deal, is it? I mean, the deal was sacrifice somebody and we'll feed you food. Mm-hmm. But then there seems to be this strange rider, which is, oh, yeah, and by the way, you will become our subjects. You know. you well, I think the idea is, have you lost your senses? You would only agree to this if you lost your senses. So you've lost your senses. So in reality, you've lost your senses kind of thing. You know, it's oh, kind of a heavy-handed allegory, isn't it? Kind of. They've kind of given up on their And if you've lost morality. your senses, then you're always going to yeah. be enthralled to mafia kind evil. of fear, yeah. fear and evil, I think. Blah, 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 blah. At roughly this time... Fabrizio seems to be reflecting on the situation they, they find themselves in. And he actually says the name of the film. He says it's like a classic horror movie. <laughs> he name checks his own movie. And, and about this time, right, I'm on this journey with this film all the way through and I'm thinking, wow, you know, actually, I was starting to think this was very derivative 
and they were copying, you know, Midsummer and Hereditary, and it seemed, you know, yeah, it seemed very kind of oh, you know, not just an homage, you know, they're really ripping it off, and it's like they've got no new ideas. But then, you know, he say he reminds you actually of the name of the film, thinking, oh yeah, actually maybe. Maybe they are, that's a knowing wink at the, you know, maybe the he's kind of breaking the fourth wall as maybe, yeah, okay. So he knows that they're in a horror movie. Like people never do when they're in horror movies. They never realise that they're in a horror movie, do they? They just think, you know, going down to the basement is a good idea. So it subverts your expectations cleverly. And it carries on doing it, this movie. So I, didn't expe- I did not expect it to do this. Night falls or the day breaks and they go upstairs into the attic and they find a girl in a wicker basket. Is that right? Or has anything happened yes. before then? No. Yeah, no. Uh, that's the next major plot event, yeah. isn't it? I believe that's right. A little girl, terrified. They're hiding in the attic, aren't they? With the girl in the wicker thing. They believe that she's had her tongue cut out. She certainly doesn't speak to them. Wow. While they're in the attic... Um, they're sort of looking out the window. It's got a big, weird window that they can see out into the clearing. They can see the RV down there. And while they're out there, people wearing animal masks That's right, show up yeah. at the RV and they grab Mark from oh, from the God. vehicle. They drag him into the downstairs bit of this house. And they're and they're all peeping looking. through the floorboards. That's right. They're terrified. And uh, Sophia was trying to scream out, but I think Ricardo stops her. And... They seem like ritual sacrifice, so to speak. Yeah, they... Oh, this is nice, actually. This is gory. It's like Timmy Mallet has gone rogue. <laughs> like, he's got this huge mallet, this huge wrecker's mallet, and they just wreck his feet. They just destroy his ankles with his mallet. And then well, some that... sort of corkscrew kind of Iron Maiden thing they slowly yeah, put into yeah, his yeah, eyes yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. So. so they torture him and kill him. Yeah. This Slow all is going to make more sense. This all is going to make more sense as we get further into the end of the film. But again, at, at this point in time, this all seems a bit weird. Obviously, there's some kind of ritual sacrifice thing going on, you're assuming. And obviously, at this point, we're, we're all kind of cognizant of the fact they're referencing so many movies from The Wicker Man onwards. Yeah. Well, you know, tying this guy up, putting that stick underneath his feet, and then snapping his ankles with oh. that hammer, that's exactly what happens in Misery, isn't it? It if you've is. seen that film. Yes. And there's absolutely no reason for them to do that because they kill him a few seconds later <laughs> with, as you say, that kind of Iron Maiden thing. They put a thing on his head and screw these spikes down so they go through his eyes. And it's also a very restrained movie, not at all like the other Italian Giallo movies we've seen, no. where if they'd been filming that, but still, they would the fascination have shown... with eyeballs being tortured. Yeah, but you don't see it in this film. No, you it's don't. suggested that you see the spikes and you see them going near to his eye. But if if this had been a giallo movie or one of the ones that we'd seen, we would have seen those spikes going into the eye and all of this jelly coming out, right? And it would have taken like twenty minutes, you know, with bright flashing lights as they did it. You know? Small furry movie, tarantulas approaching for no reason. Yeah. In this movie, you know, you see what's going to happen, and you see them turning the thing, and you see all his friends watching in the attic above, but you don't see the gore. Very little blood is shown at all. It's very restrained, for particularly for an Italian horror movie. And at about this time, I was starting to lose a bit of patience. I was thinking, you know, yeah. what, what is this? 
it's very derivative. It's very weird. I don't get why they're sacrificing him. And the, the dialogue seemed to be really bad at this point. It's starting to annoy me now. I'm angry with this film, almost physically. And uh, the the dialogue that got me really pissed off for some reason was they were really upset that the doctor hadn't gone to help and it in fact stopped Sophia from screaming out. And he says, I'm a doctor. I cure sick people. I don't rescue them. <laughs> well, he makes a fair point. He's not particularly, it's not in his contract, is it, to, to rescue people? It's a strange thing to say. And then uh, they get this girl out of the wicker thing and Elisa has, for some reason, brought some children's-sized shoes in a bag so she can give them to this girl. And they start they start going through the undergrowth. Uh, and the doctor's got a tire iron or something, and he's bashing undergrowth away, I don't know why. But at some point, the, the girl, I think she writes... Have oh, they found a load of cars that are abandoned? That's right, yeah. yeah. Which is, again, that's straight out of another horror movie. I think it was an Australian one. There's some like backpackers or something visiting Uluru or some other, you know, somewhere oh, in the outback. No. This guy captures them and they wind up in this place where there's loads of these abandoned cars. In fact, I think there are several horror movies that do the same thing where, you know, you see all these abandoned cars and realize, you know, you're like the 20th group of people that they're preying on. Uh, is it, it might be, um, what are the Leatherface movies, you know, the. Oh, good point. I, I, I think they do a similar thing. But yeah, they're seeing all these abandoned vehicles that seem to be from the same kind of trick perpetrated on different people. And this girl seems to be sitting in the car she may have come, maybe came in. She finds a notepad and she writes down, she's, she can now write messages. And she writes one to Elisa saying, you know, it's not a forest. She shows it to Elisa and the music goes dun. Now, that's really meaningful. Like what? Like what is it then? <laughs> but then, of course, they they leave this place and they carry on walking, hoping to get to the road, and they come back to the same clearing. Dun dun dun! Like they've walked in a giant circle. I have to. I have to admit this. This point in the movie, or this this section, or this this time period of the movie, did drag a bit. I, to the extent that I lost focus. I mean. Well, there's lots, lots of wandering. Because this is lots of wandering in forest environments, wasn't it? It wasn't really clear what the tension was about and where it was going. But well, well, you know, this is Blair Witch. You know, this is pure Blair Witch. They wander around the forest, they come back, and it's the same place, and you know, they've come in a big circle, and they're all upset and dishevelled and you know, distressed about it. And then one of them says, "Oh, maybe I'm a, I'm in a coma, and this is a nightmare." And again, you know, I'm thinking of. Another big trope of movies, of course. Yeah, maybe this is all in their imagination. That's the only thing that would make sense. That's also extremely cheap. You know, again, I was just getting more and more annoyed. Mm. Should we get to the denouement or not? So, how, how does it happen? Well, there's a long big... story short, the three of them just disappear and killed, aren't they? You know, like uh, the Doctor and the girl who does 3D printing. Is it two of them or three of them? And well, they all wind up, they all wind the up tied girl. up in a grand yeah. ceremony. All of these villages or something arrive with animal heads on, headdresses on. They're having a kind of black mass. The girl is back in the wicker thing, about to be sacrificed, you assume. For some reason, there's a Pegasus there. I mean, like a horse they put wings on. I don't know why. Um, it doesn't, none of it makes any sense. And it's all like grandstanding and derivative. And 
Um, and meanwhile, Fabrizio and Elisa are back in the house. He's grabbed her and gone back in the house. And he, he asks her if he can hug her, which is nice, mm. you know, asking consent before a hug. But this is normally the point where, you know, the character's in peril hug, isn't it? And as he's hugging her, this is quite good at this bit. She's, and Fabrizio, we didn't mention this, has got a hearing aid in. We've seen it from since early on in the movie, haven't we? And as she's hugging her, she hears uh, on his hearing right, yeah. aid, she hears voices like production crew speaking to him. Here begins the denouement. Yeah. It turns out that Fabrizio's in on this and he's staging it all and the whole thing is being filmed. It it transpires during the scene as well that on the wall of this house there's a, a, a do you call it a bust? You know, an animal head yeah. of a deer. And I think you'd seen it earlier on as well. It's got these very vivid eyes looking out and it turns out that those eyes are cameras and they're part of the hidden camera setup filming this sort of quasi reality staged horror movie Paul you need to explain the rest of the movie to me now <laughs> well so this is the beginning of the denouement she realises in a flash that this is essentially a film set a very elaborate and extended one in the middle of a forest uh, and but I mean for me at this point I wasn't entirely convinced because at this point you know if you grab the earpiece I think this is just a film you know some sort of macabre stuff film set you therefore have a glimmer of a hope that maybe it was all the deaths were all faked yeah yes but she never really entertains that idea she seems she, I mean she's fairly certain that everybody's still dead and in fact they are still dead yes so for me true. that moment wasn't entirely convincing I think you know in all this danger it should have been a candid camera moment right she you should really want on. it to be true that yeah. actually oh it's just candid camera it's all just a complete joke everybody's still alive and I think that's a real mistake because that would be I think anybody Anybody, in any in this situation, anybody not thinking what you know, thinking this is not real, this is you know completely made up. I think you grasp for that for the hope that actually it was entirely benevolent, also. But would, is she not simply incredibly confused, like I was? <laughs> yeah, I guess she is confused. Yeah. What is the motivation behind Fabrizio and his? Well, we'd later find out, don't we? We pretty soon find out. She's. Still captured, isn't she? And yeah. she winds up waking up with a bag on her head and they remove it. And she's got her hands nailed to the arms of a wheelchair. And she's Incredibly somewhere... Are. Yeah. She's somewhere basically in a Dolmio advert, somewhere outside in, <laughs> in Italy. And they're serving bolognese up, aren't they, to this big table full of people. No, I thought this com- was a direct midsummer. Midsummer Direct robot, Midsummer, it? yeah, it's got well, they've got artistic bits of wood on the table and well, looks like roadkill and stuff. But they're eating spaghetti, and they've got a matriarch at the head of the table, and I think we're we it's very strongly implied that this is a mafia arrangement. It is, yeah. I mean, she's the mayor of the town, but it's a you know, it's a rotten borough. She's the mayor of the town. Uh, the, the police, police turn up in a little fi- pian. She pian- thinks she's saved, fi- but pian- she isn't. Because they're in the uh, pocket of the mafia. So yeah, I mean, uh, she's in the pocket of the mafia, and uh, she's mayor and mafia head, essentially. I guess in, that, in this little neck of the woods, uh, and so it's kind of like the worst of all nightmares, isn't it? Really, she's in a stuff movie that's a real stuff movie, and 
uh, being made by people that are literally the law and above the law at the same time. Uh, and this is weird, disabled cabal of people with no eyes and no ears and no mouths eating at a table with them, with her. And it's kind of obvious that she's about to become the next meal kind of thing, isn't it? So, I mean, I don't know how you get out of that situation. But somehow she does. Well, she winds up. She winds up in, after this section, she winds up in a, like a trailer, I think, doesn't she? Or a house or something near a trailer. There's a collection of, like, production vehicles, isn't there? I think, where there's costumes and stuff. And everyone doesn't seem to be there. But she escapes by pulling her hands off the nails. Yeah, she rips her hands off the nails. At this point, we've had an exposition by the Mafia boss saying, you know, the maf- times of the Mafia aren't so good anymore. We wouldn't Mafia normally... isn't what it used to be. We must all learn be, you know, to adapt. You know, so they're making money by... I think we've visited this idea two or three times now, making real snuff movies for, for the interwebs kind of thing. Or, or maybe for very Is that what they're doing? Rich clients, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's all the reference is. Uh, like, we or, can't or make they... money the traditional way. This is how, we, you know, I wouldn't normally do this, but this is what we've got to do these days. That's how I took it. Were they making horror movies to rehabilitate the public image of the mafia? Is that what they're trying to do? Are they trying to build this mythology around the mafia to help strike oh, fear into people's... Could be. But also to make money, I think. That's not sure. the thing. I wasn't entirely clear about this bit, which is a shame, because in a way it's a big payoff. <laughs> anyway, she escapes with her hands dripping off her, off her wrists and hides under the open window of the trailer in which Fabrizio, and we now learn the child actor who's been playing the girl with no tongue, are having a good old rollicking argument in the middle of. Is she supposed to be a child? or is the She's a dwarf that, that looks like a child. Yeah, yeah. And she's had a piece in her mouth that makes it look like her tongue's cut off. She mm. keeps having to take it out so she can remonstrate with Fabrizio. Anyway, they're having a right old ding-dong. I don't know about what exactly. But conveniently, in the middle of the ding-dong, uh, important information is conveyed to, to our heroine. Yes, and she has found some firearms outside, right? And she finds a shotgun. Uh, and she opens the door to the trailer and shoots the... The girl or the young woman and cripples Fabrizio. Kneecaps Fabrizio. Then she yeah. turns the camera on Fabrizio and, in a final irony, records his end. Yeah. And there we are. That's pretty much it. Then she stumbles out of the wood and lands in a, on a beach, yeah, uh, where everybody, like, takes selfies or, you know, everybody takes, takes, uh, takes footage of her as she jumps in the water. That's right. She jumps in the water and washes the Weird, trippy ending, yeah. And, so. and again, she's being filmed again. Uh, so it's maybe a comment, isn't it, on the, the, the way be. in which people are filmed everywhere and every how. This week, we've just had a Colombian drug lord of a similar size to Pablo Escobar arrested. Uh, and he was particularly involved in the trafficking of children uh, who were, you know, child brides for his, for his henchmen, uh, a really big member of the Colombian mafia. Uh, so kind of watching this at that time made me think, you know, about the criminal underworld generally. The fact that this was all supposedly 
in a forest that was marked as a fake military area that actually wasn't mm. a military area, you see. And that's why yes. the phone signals didn't work on the phones and that kind of thing. I'm thinking, will that be possible? Well, it would be in Colombia. Like she says, the mafia isn't what it used to be in Italy. But I think it still would be possible maybe in some parts of southern Italy. It's weird, isn't it, really? I mean, I, the whole the whole allegory about, you know, the three nights is, is an allegory about the way that fear controls, isn't it? I think. And how the insidious way that these organizations can, you know, take root in societies. Uh, and also we get like the rustic roots of the mafia, almost the backward roots, if you like, of, of these, the country meal, the doll meal advert, as you say, you know, like, uh, <laughs> like the, the rustic authenticity of the struggles of these people and why the mafia was formed originally. I mean, it wasn't formed as a, a crime brotherhood, was it? It was formed as a secret brotherhood uh, to advance, I guess, agricultural interests of various communities in Italy. So all that was quite interesting, I thought. But, yeah, I don't know what you thought about it generally, Richard. Rarely has a film made me, given me such an emotional response, initially kind of growing annoyance or dissatisfaction with it. But then it completely subverted all my assumptions. Uh, To give an example, right, you know, as, as we pointed out, Sophia proud of her 3D printed ring explains it all and Aliza very politely says oh it's pretty uh, and later on there's another exchange between the two of them where Sophia says I, I knew you you know I knew you didn't think it was pretty and, and in a way that's like this whole movie right it's yeah. like saying you know <laughs> uh, yeah you sat politely through it thinking it was a horror movie but really I knew you and you thought it was crap and derivative and you and we were stealing it. That's because it really was. It, it like, wow. knew its own failings. And I thought it, it's, it sets itself up beautifully and it's really subtle and very clever. And I just don't totally believe the bit at the end. But m- maybe if I was Italian and the Mafia meant something different to me, yeah, then it might feel that might that might hit in a way that it's probably intended. I don't know what the equivalent might be, say here, but it, well, it would probably something Arthurian, wouldn't it? Here, but you know, but you know, you, I don't you know, know. I don't know. I mean, it has to be trippy, doesn't it? Because it's unreal. But like, I don't think this would be unimaginable in certain parts of Italy. You know. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And life yeah. goes on, and people at the, you know, at the seaside will just take photos of it happening. I think it's brilliant, but it's a little bit flawed. But I can forgive it quite a lot. For but I think it's supposed to be hammy in a certain sort of way. The mayor, who's you know yeah. the mafia, the mafia lead, a beautiful big. Oh, it's very broadly played, isn't it? Yeah. Beautiful red dress and like you know a slightly crinkly skinned tan, you know a rich tan that she has. She exudes a kind of mafia richness, a well a well offness too. It's kind of like a, a, a very a very brash kind of wealth to her, hasn't she? But it's, it's it. I mean, it's it's very hammy what she says, but she says you know it's it's your fear. You know, you people, your fear, you know, you you complain about these little things on TV, but then in real life, you know, you can't keep your eyes off these road accidents and these, you know, these uh, murders that go on between 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 relatives and, and, of course, the actions of the mafia. And this stuff interests you, you love it, and you want more of it. And so I think there was, there was a hammy moment there which was they were, they were trying to sort of reason why... Our rubbernecking is so damaging, and I, you know, I'm, why our obsession with 
interacting and, and wanting goriness in our lives, but not doing anything about it. You know, some of that was played in there, I think, but I'm, I'm not sure to to what effect or or for what reason. But there we go. There's another crazy subtext or, or subtle or clever subtext going on where, you know, Elisa is uh, going for an abortion, so she's expecting a child, perhaps, but maybe not totally convinced that she wants an abortion. But, yeah. you know, her mum's persuasive and it probably is sensible at her age, I guess. But then she forms this bond with the girl with no tongue in the wicker, wicker man. And she, there's obviously something maternal going on there, right? She's very protective of her. She gets the shoes. And, you know, you can imagine that's her maybe coming to terms with herself being a, a mother. But then, of course, later on, it turns out she's not really a kid, but some weird... Weird woman acting at the role, and she shoots her with a shotgun. You know that's quite symbolic as well, isn't it? I don't know. It's there's a lot going on here, Paul. Mm-hmm. This is much deeper than it first appears. <laughs> what should we do? Should we give it an acting score? Oh yeah, let's give it an acting score. Go on then. Let me dig out my scores from wherever they are. Okay, uh, yeah, I gave it a seven for acting. I thought it was fairly convincing. Uh, you know, uh, Fabrizio, I guess, who plays the main antagonist, I thought was very convincing as as that kind of flawed, weak but vengeful character in horror movies. Uh, but this is all, of course, in in self referential inverted commas. Once this fourth wall is broken, halfway through the movie, uh, but still very convincing either side of that. And yeah, I thought a heroine was uh, something we could strongly identify with and really empathise with so uh, she carried her role really well so a 7 for me 7 is a fair score yeah I was really rooting for Mark the Brit he didn't really make it there did he (laughs) unfortunately no alright so hmm well let's do let's do special effects and action and stuff yeah the gore work for me gooey legs and and, and, and broken sockets and Drippy eyeballs and whatnot. Uh, seven pig's heads, a seven for me. Yeah, look, very restrained. Very few, as you say, rubber spiders. No <laughs> dogs killed blind men in this movie, amazingly. <laughs> um, but, you know, generally it was convincing because they were restrained about it. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll certainly give it a... I'll give it an eight here, I think. I don't know how to score it in terms of unironic horror here, or... I mean, are we still going to have a horror score? Yeah, I think we can, because there are whole moments where, you know, it is pure horror, and you don't know what's going on, and it is potentially scary. And then it, then when it becomes a non-supernatural slasher movie, it's the horror still continues, still. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah I think it's... A film, you know, a film snuff slasher movie. Yeah, I think horror is still a relevant category. So I scored it seven for this. So it, it carried through pretty well. Like I say, I don't know if their intention was to make the first half of the movie naff, so you would sense that it wasn't going to be about supernatural horror and weird kind of, you know, devil devil worship cults in the forest. It wasn't naff, though, was it? It, it, it was wasn't just, naff ever, no. Because it ripped off really good horror movies. The, sure, but the fact it was ripping off horror movies in a, in a way that you thought couldn't be unconscious and that was definitely nodding towards... It just felt, yeah. Viewer, it just felt therefore, ar- you couldn't really immerse in the horror. Yeah. You couldn't immerse yeah. in the horror as horror per se, could you? Yeah, yeah. And it, it's also a bit unearned as well, isn't it? You know, Midsummer goes to great pains to set up the weirdness around it. 
Yes. Hereditary does the same thing as a lot of, a lot of build up to it. With this Whereas movie, this is just some seven pigs on, it, on a post, yeah. Exactly. Seven pigs, so, seven pigs has on a post. Yeah. I'm so some, it is on a But obviously, there's a good reason that it's unearned, isn't it? Uh, but nonetheless, you know, it is creepy, and you do get this real sense that they're lost and stuck in a way that must be frightening. So, you know, I, I think it is worth seven. Yeah. What about the plot line in the story? I, I quite like this. It starts out as a road movie kind of thing, and yeah. there's some brilliant Italian mid-century kind of music. Yeah, it sounds so much swishier than like you know the kind of brassy, pathé music that we would have from the same era. It yeah. sounds really sophisticated. You know, it's like it's like pastel. It's like a pastel coloured cafe. It's like you know, it's, it's it's wonderful. You know, the music they set off to, and I, I like that change in tone that we get uh, where it stops being a road movie and inevitably you know crashing in the forest uh, into a deer at night kind of thing, uh, and becomes you know. Uh, uh, a fairly standard horror, but uh, for me the plot carried through all the way through. The nice denouement and the nice the nice twist in that it's all being filmed. Uh, it's just a snuff movie carried through convincingly, uh, and you could imagine that it, it would be possible in an enclosed kind of Big Brother arena to be able to do this. So yeah, I, I like the story. I'm going to give it a seven. I think that it's as I say. I think it's really clever. Maybe maybe I'm just bamboozled by it in some way. No, it is clever, yeah. Notwithstanding that I wasn't completely persuaded by the motivations of the whole end, sort of last act. You know, still, the way it played with my uh, understanding and expectations for it, I've got to give it huge credit for. So I'm going to give it an eight, maybe maybe Whoa. even a nine. Whoa. Okay. So Richard, unconvinced, but finally comes out down on the side. <laughs> Of this movie and its scripting. Final score, Richard, what would, you, what would you put this at? It's difficult, isn't it? If you were going into this movie hoping for an, a normal horror, which is what it starts <laughs> out with, you're going to find yourself a bit disappointed at some stage. But, you know, I, I, it did drag in some places. but It did drag, yeah. yeah. I think it's a, worth a good seven. I'm going to score it 7.5. It's, I think the sum of its parts is slightly greater than its parts. So, yeah, 7.5 for me. It is a recommend, and it's free on Netflix, so why not? It's definitely not a waste of time. Yeah, why the hell not? Let's get on with it. The recommend. Crikey, blimey. Hey, uh, well, next week, Paul. I've got two what choices for you, Richard. Let's not waste any time. Uh, a film from 1951, 70 years old today. Can you believe that? Which is The Christ. Man in the White Suit, starring Alec Guinness. Uh huh. That's your first choice, Richard. And the second choice is The Cabinet in the Woods. It's from 2011, but it is available free on Netflix. I think you mean that's Cabin in the Woods, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I can't read my own writing. I'm sorry. Let me re- let me scratch that down again. Okay. The Cabin in the Woods, 2011 from Netflix. Well, look, the movie we've just watched deconstructs the horror genre. In a cool, almost completely, kind of yeah, postmoderny way, and Cabin in the Woods does a similar thing, I think. Oh, so well, I think it would be interesting choice. to watch Cabin in the Woods after this. Let's do that. Okay, so Cabinet in the Woods, is... Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the lumberjack. So next week, we'll also watch the cabinet maker. Cabinets. He chops the trees <laughs> and he makes the cabinets from the trees. 
using no nails, just old-fashioned Japanese wood joints. Okay, yes. So not the cabinet in the woods. So that would be a fascinating documentary. You know. uh-huh. yeah. The man who takes cabinet making completely upstream, chops his own wood and makes his own cabinets in the woods. Are you a but wood no, stain sadly. or a varnish man? That's a question. Oh, definitely a varnisher. But it's not the oh. cabinet. It is the cabin in the woods, 2011, on Netflix. Join us next time. Episode number 15, can it be? It can be. Where we won't be looking at a man in a white suit, thankfully. Until then. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.